0: Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we're going to look there together. It's a great great privilege Uh, to be here, to be back in Texas. Man, the food is good in Texas. Glory to God. Amen. South Africa is uh, a place of great opportunity for ministry. Uh, there's uh, an infrastructure there that uh, you can you know, live and you can get things done. You don't have to live in a mud hut uh, to, to function there. Uh, there's a Uh, level of desperation among the people uh, that they're hungry for answers. And the gospel brings the answer. One of the desperate things that is happening in South Africa is uh, the rampage of sexually transmitted diseases. The uh, HIV positive rate, AIDS rate in South Africa officially is 15%. They've done a number of surveys of studies in uh, two townships, Uh, one of the townships that's close to us, they uh, screened a number of young people, 15 to 25 years old, over 70% tested HIV positive. Folks are sexually immoral there, and it's taking its toll, and uh, that's not the only problem in South Africa, it's a problem here in the United States, and it's a problem in the church, and I want to talk about sexual purity and sexual morality. And uh, just a couple of stories that I've read. Maybe you would remember four years ago in the Sydney uh, Olympics in Australia. Uh, one of the stories that came out of that was they supply all these different things for the Olympic athletes. Uh, food and, and uh, shelter and lodging and those kinds of things. Well, they supplied the athletes with 10,000 condoms. And halfway through the Olympics, they ran out. They're doing more than running. One story came out about uh, Dennis Mitchell, who is a U.S. medal-winning s- sprinter, and uh, he, was, uh, he was banned. He tested positive for uh, performance-enhancing drugs, I believe the story came out in January of uh, 2000 uh, and uh, he denied that he had taken the performance enhancing drugs despite the positive test result and he said that his testosterone level was so high only because he had had sex four times the night before and so there's all this testosterone running through his system that's why he tested they didn't buy it he was banned Amen. So here's a man who's one one amongst many who lost the prize because of sexual immorality. And this happens, sadly, again and again in the church world and happens in our fellowship. And I want to talk to you about sexual purity. And Paul is writing here in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, he says in verse uh, chapter 4 verse 1 Finally then brethren we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you. In the precious name of Jesus, God, I ask for your anointing to preach. God, I pray you would lay hold of the hearts of men. God, help us to be holy and to be sanctified in this generation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look first of all with you at our purity and the will of God. And God wants us to live clean. Is that a revelation? Lots of times we wrestle, we wonder, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, Do you want me to preach? Do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to be a pillar? We wrestle with the ins and outs of this. Should I be in this ministry? Should I be in this church? But at the end of the day, the will of God is revealed to us. Verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants us different from the world. He wants us different from these guys, these thugs that are walking down the street, hanging on to the thing, walking down the street. You know what I'm talking about. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be set apart. He wants the world to look at us and see in us that there's something different. Throughout the Bible, the power of men of God was their sanctification. They were set apart to God and that we would stay away from sexual sin. This is the known will of God, and in the early church, this was a mark of it, was its purity and its holiness. Gentiles began to get saved in the book of Acts, in the early church. There was this question about how they were supposed to conduct themselves, whether they're going to convert to Judaism. And the Jerusalem church rose up, sent out a letter to uh, uh, Gentile converts uh, and basically gave them just a few instructions. Stay away from idols, stay away from things strangled, keep yourself pure and stay away from fornication. If you do these things, you'll do well. Sometimes in counseling people and working with people, men, they'll get all confused and all twisted up in their mind out of insecurity and just wondering what's going on. And, you know, Pastor, am I saved? Am I called? Am I? You, know, you know what, bro? If you'll just be sanctified, God will show you what He wants you to do. If we'll just be set apart and live clean, He'll break in into our lives. And He'll begin to speak to us. and. Over and over again, we read through the Word of God about sexuality, about sexual immorality, and about sexual purity. And if we haven't figured it out yet, we are sexual beings. You're a stud. You're a sexual being. God created you with a sex drive and the issue is not whether or not you have it the issue is what you do with it and where you channel it there's a a study that was done by a British anthropologist his name was J.D. Unwin J.D. Unwin spent seven years studying the births and deaths of 80 civilizations every known culture in the world's history followed the same sexual pattern during its early days of existence sex outside of marriage was forbidden Great creative energy was associated with this inhibition of sexual expression, causing the culture to prosper. Later in the life of the society, its people began to rebel against the prohibitions, demanding the freedom to express their sexual passions. As the morals weakened, the social energy abated, eventually resulting in the decay or destruction of the civilization." Listen to me. Unwin concluded that the energy that holds a society together is sexual in nature. When a man is devoted to one woman and one family, he is motivated to build, save, protect, plan, and prosper on their behalf. However, when male and female sexual interests are dispersed and generalized, their effort is invested in the gratification of sensual desires. Any human society is free either to display great energy. Or to enjoy sexual freedom, the evidence is that they cannot do both for more than one generation. And so, he's, what he's talking about is that you and I, as men, we have this energy, we have this, this drive that is inside of it, and a lot of it is sexual. And God built you, and He designed you, and He has ordained you to be a man who accomplishes things. And he gave you a drive. He gave you an ambition. He gave you an energy. And a lot of that energy is sexual. And you are either going to channel that in the right direction and fulfill the will of God. And you're going to leave your mark on your generation. Or you're going to be like so many men are that are in the world. You're going to go out there and you're going to constantly be out there trying to get some. And you're going to look back on the end of your life and you're going to have uh, uh, Susie Q and baby cakes and Hoochie Mama and kids scattered all over the place and you will have scattered your manhood and you will have done nothing with your life. Because that is the nature. That's what God created us and He's created us with energy and drive to do something with our lives. And I see this. This is magnified. In the township where I minister, the the, the men there, they... they there's 35% unemployment in South Africa, jobs, poverty, the whole thing, the dynamics. It's difficult for, for uh, people to get jobs, and so men get discouraged, they give up, and they go on the prowl. And they've got to prove that they're a stud, not because they're going out and working and doing something with their lives, they've got to prove they're a stud by seeing how many women they can get pregnant or how many women they can conquer. And this is something that's destroying our manhood. This country was founded by Puritans. Men who worked their tails off. They were faithful to a wife from marriage until death. They forged our constitution. They formed our government they started this country I read the biographies of John Adams Benjamin Franklin I can't believe their mind their energy their drive what they accomplished with their lives and we've got men in our generation they can hardly tie their shoes we're channeling our manhood into something and what are we going to do with our lives because we see this you know old, old bad Kobe Oh, bad, you just fill in the blank. George Gilder wrote these words in his book, Men in Marriage. Under most conditions, young men are subject to nearly unremitting sexual drives involving their very identities as males. Unless they have an enduring relationship with a woman, a relationship that affords them sexual confidence... Men will accept almost any convenient sexual offer. This drive arises early in their lives, and if it's not appeased by women, it is slaked by masturbation and pornography. Man shall leave his home. He'll cleave unto a woman, a wife, and he'll pour his sexual energy into that one woman. It's not going to be a playa. That's going to be satisfied and channeled into a wife, into a family. That's what sex is all about. Oh, yeah, sex is for marriage, sex is for marriage. That's what sex is for. They shall leave their families. They shall come together, be joined together, and the two shall become one flesh. So I've heard it said by a pastor in our fellowship in a very powerful sermon about the nature of sex in marriage is that that sex is that vehicle, it's that mechanism, sir, husband, that helps you keep, maintain, and have that intimacy with your wife. It is so important. Have sex with your wife. All the single guys are going, Drag. I haven't seen my wife in 11 nights. I'm going home next week. I'm going home next week. Because I love my wife. See, so what we're talking about is your body. Paul's writing here and he says it. Verse 4, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And so commentators, you know, they write about different things saying that maybe, you know, he's either talking about his wife, he might be talking about his penis. He's talking about you maintaining yourself with honor. You keep your hands off yourself. See, what the devil wants is he wants to rob you of your spiritual power through sexual immorality. Samson. Separated unto God before he was born. And yet he did not completely fulfill his destiny because he could not stay away from the skirts. Revelation 14, we get a picture in the last days. Revelation 14, beginning in verse 1. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion... With him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These were the ones who were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Part of the power of these men was their sexual purity. And we, we talk about it, our pastors preach about it. We thump our chests and we talk about standards of righteousness and morality, but you know, sometimes we still have failures in our churches. And I want to tell you something, there's a reason. This is not there's a reason why we have standards regarding entertainment. There's a reason why we have standards regarding television. There's a reason why we have standards regarding the internet. It's because the will of God is that you would Maintain and possess your vessel with honor. Because sexual sin is not just like any other sin. It's not like lying. It's not like cursing or drinking. First Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's something different about this. It's very heavily damaging. And in chapter 6, the context of the scripture is Paul is writing to a culture. They're claiming Christianity and they're saying, I can do this and it does not affect my walk with God. Uh I can go to church. I can function. I can worship God. But I can still go to the the temple. I can still see the prostitutes. I can still go, you know, do that thing. And it does not affect my walk with God. He's talking about... things being done in the proper in the proper place i've got a filter on my computer i don't care that it slows my computer down it takes 5 minutes for the thing to boot up and log on i don't care i don't need things from hell popping up on my computer screen i don't want to go to hell i don't want to go to hell i want to go to heaven I want to have my mind clean so that I can preach, so that I can hear from God. I don't want to be all twisted up uh, uh, by by images and by memories and all this stuff. I need to hear from God, and so do you. And we get into the issue here. We're talking about pornography because, uh, you know, it used to be before the age of, you know, the Internet and all the secrecy and privacy, and this is my home and this is my life, you know, you have to go find a whore down on 6th Street or wherever, but now it's so easy to be defiled by pornography. And it's so stinking wicked. In South Africa, pornography was absolutely outlawed. They could not hardly, I mean, it was very difficult to even get it into the country 10 years ago. There was a government change. Now they're tolerant of everything. A flood of porno- pornography has come in. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Can't even go into bookstores hardly anymore. Can't even walk by a magazine rack anymore. Because I know me. I know what's in me. I know my bent towards that. I know know what weakness is. I know how God designed me. God designed me to respond to the female form. What were the first words out of Adam when God brought Eve to him? Whoa! Whoa! Because as men you are created to respond visually. That's why God made her look that way. God put it in you to respond to curves. That's the way he made you. That you would find that one woman that you would say say she's fine. She's the one. I'm going to forsake all others. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going, to, I'm going to put some pit stick on. I'm going to make myself look, look decent. I'm going to go. I'm going to open the door for her that I might win her, that I might bring her to an altar, that she might bring me to my knees. So that you can channel that energy into that one woman and channel that energy into a family and raise that family and do the will of God. And so God created us To be visually stimulated creatures. This is why pornography works. I remember Pastor Mitchell preaching years and years ago a sermon about pornography, and he was talking about how we respond visually. And so you have this gland that releases something called epinephrine, it comes from the adrenal gland. And so epinephrine is this hormone or this chemical that goes from your brain and it goes through your system and it gets you physically ready to do strenuous physical activity and it also prepares you physically to have sex. Makes things start to move in your body. You know what I'm talking about? That epinephrine not only does that, but it also has an addictive quality to it It also functions in your memory and it works to take what your eyes have looked at and to register your visual uh, impulses into the memory of your brain. It actually burns it onto your brain. This is how pornography works. This is why pornography is addictive. This is why you can't just look at it and then go away and then you go back. This is why there's some men here, It's secretly... You're all wrapped up in porn, internet porn or videos or magazines or what, and you go and you feel horrible and you come and you pray and you cry out to God and you feel ashamed and you say that's it, but you go back. Because we're talking about a wicked, wicked, powerful trap from hell. And it's addictive, and it creates an appetite and it there's a there's a masturbation impulse and masturbation always involves fantasizing what you've watched what you've read who you've seen who you're who you're quietly stalking I'm talking about the, the man who goes into a room goes into a room with this large crowd of people and uh, there, there's this predator thing going on you're, you're looking, you're, you're evaluating she's a 10, she's a 7, she's a dog and you're looking, you're trying to find the best looking one in the room you're checking her out and it begins to pull people into a trap Proverbs 2 talks about this road, this road of getting involved with with, uh, the harlot, the the sexually immoral. I read the scripture, man, and it frightens me. Proverbs 2 16 through 19, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God for her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead none who go to her return nor do they regain the paths of life. He's talking about a road you begin to go down. You begin to tell yourself you know what, I can stop this I'm going to put it away I know this is wrong I'm, I'm going it's hard to go back. You get hooked in this trap man it's hard to go back. Unless you're willing to do some radical, radical judgment on sin, on your own lifestyle, on what you know your, your appetites are to be, it's hard to come back. You ever read the story of Amnon? Second Samuel chapter 13, son of David. The Bible says that he loved his half-sister Tamar. And he's so love he gets sick. Have you read that? It it's it's the juices are flowing so strong that he's sick and he's got to have her. And he can't do it properly because there could have been some kind of, of a marriage arrangement made. He he had to have her and he rapes his half sister. Amnon was the firstborn son. He was next in line to be king. All the opportunity, all the favor, all the blessing of God, all that could have been done, the destiny that is there, born into the household of the king, could have been used. Who knows? He lost it all. Later on, Absalom takes him aside, kills him. He's, he's gone. How many men of potential? They can preach. There's something happening in their life. And it's this thing right here. See, I'm not... Samson. Delilah comes, you know, again and again. Tell me the secret of your strength. He's playing with her. She calls the Philistines. They're going to come and kill him. He slips out of the trap and you would think that woman is trouble. Mama was right. But he goes back again and again and again. He wasn't thinking. He might have been thinking but he was thinking with the wrong head. And we're seeing men They're blowing their destiny. They're losing their destiny. When they get get busted, they won't recover. They won't get it right. They lose their destiny. It's because they cannot get dominion over their own penis. They got this cultural thing in South Africa with the men. They, They, 16 to 20 years old or so... Teenage boys that begin to move into manhood, they have this rite of passage. It's a cultural thing. They are not considered socially to be men until they have gone out into the bush, into the jungle, and gone, jungle and gone into circumcision school. They go out there, they do this traditional thing. They, they uh, uh, bring in all the family history of, of their clan, of their tribe, and then they get a witch doctor to come out and it's not good. No anesthesia. Not good. Every year, men die. They come back mutilated. Sometimes they have to do amputations. Folks got some funny ideas about what real manhood is. See, God says you channel this towards marriage only. You save yourself. You keep yourself. You possess yourself. I can't help it, man. I can't help it. Yes, you can. I'll bust No, God gave you something called a wet dream. See, sinners are writing this kind of stuff. George Gilder writes, "The crucial process of civilization is the subordination of male sexual impulses and biology to the long-term horizons of female sexuality." Men lust, but they know not what for. They wander and lose track of the goal. They fight and compete, but they forget the prize. They spread seed but spurn the seasons of growth. They chase power and glory but miss the meaning of life. In creating civilization, women transform male lust into love. They channel male wanderlust into jobs, homes, and families. They link men to specific children. They rear children into citizens. They change hunters into fathers. They divert male willpower into a drive to create. Women conceive the future that men tend to flee. They feed the children that men ignore. You need a wife. You need your wife. You need to have sex with your wife. A lot. Because God has ordained that. It's, it's, it's not just so you can get your rocks off. It's not just so that you can... It's, it's God's way of building... Have you having intimacy with that woman, having, having a, a close relationship with her. It's, it, you come together and you're one. You need to get married, bro. You need to get married, bro. I thank God. This coming October, my wife and I will be married 20 years. I th- I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my wife. I thank God. You know, I I see. You know, uh, you know, folks. My generation. You know, they're on second marriage. They're they're or or they're or they're divorced and they're you know forty something and they're you know they're they're, they're trying to do the bar thing. You know, I, dear God. And for like you know. Three seconds, I'll let myself just try to imagine, you know, me, you know, in some club. (sighs) Thank God, thank you, Jesus. You know, coming home, coming home to America, and and um, you know, just I get to see, I get to be injected into the pop culture. You know, you know the advertising commercials, you know things like this. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a baseball game. You know, in the hotel room, and you know, it's. uh, I think I'll read a book. What about your television? What about your favorite website? What about your eyes? So what we're talking about is having dominion over your passion. God designed us to have dominion, not to be enslaved by our appetites, but to have dominion over them. And so here's this, here's this powerful, powerful truth that Paul is writing to us here, verse, uh, here in our text. Verse four: That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. About being clean, man. You know, I've I've mentioned this before. I think in a in a conference sermon, you know, years ago. But you know, when I got saved, um, you know, I was a new, I was saved for about six months, and God began to deal with me about some things. You know, one of the things He began to deal with me about was about entertainment. This was long before we had these fellowship standards. You're going to be in ministry, no theaters, no TVs. It was long before that. God began to deal with me about my own heart and about my appetite and the issue of entertainment. And I got rid of my television set. I talked to my wife. I said, you know what, God's dealing... We're going to get rid of this thing. She said, hallelujah, maybe we can talk now. And... You know, I know me. If I had one, I'd watch it all the time. And so I've, I've made a decision. I'm going to try to possess my vessel in sanctification. I want to be set apart. I, I, I can't go and do some things. I have to put some restraint on myself. And so if you're one of these people who thinks that, oh man, all these rules and standards and legalism, you don't get it. Because we're we're not into that. This is something through the wisdom of Pastor Mitchell and our leaders where he's just trying to help us judge our own flesh. And put some walls around us so that we can see it and say, I want to be sanctified. I want to be set apart. I don't want to be like the world. Amen. We need to examine our conduct. How do you treat women? You know, it's, it's unavoidable. I've heard Pastor Mitchell say this before, that you have a group of men... In a, in a room, doesn't matter if they're Christian or not, a woman walks into the room and everything just kind of changes. Hi, sister. How do you treat women? Are you a flirt? Oh, pastor, only women flirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, let me throw this out to pastors. You know, the devil put a big old bullseye on you, bro. You need to be careful about, about counseling women. And I know this is just, you know, real simple and real basic. You need to be careful counseling women. I counsel, I do not, I'm not, I don't let the door be closed. I'm not, I don't counsel women in a room. I counsel women in our church, out in the open, we get a chair out on the platform of the stage. They want to sit, they want to talk. I'm counseling. Everybody sees what's going on. You just got to use some brains. You've got to guard yourself. you got to examine your conduct. This whole predator spirit of, you know, trying to connect and, you know, trying to, you know, measure up, you know, if she's fine, okay, she's fine, but leave it, man. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We have, this, we have this aggression in us, man. It's got to be channeled in the right direction. It's got to be channeled in the right place. Males almost everywhere show greater sexual aggressiveness, compulsiveness, and lack of selectivity. Over the whole range of human societies, men are overwhelmingly more prone to masturbation, homosexuality, voyeurism, gratuitous sexual aggression and other shallow and indiscriminate erotic activity. Male sexuality is a physical drive and a psychological compulsion. This voracious need can rise to a pitch at the slightest provocation. It demands nothing but an available body. At its height, it aspires less to a special love than to an orgastic rut. There's something in us that if we don't get a handle on it, will destroy us. And so what happens is we, we serve God, we're saved, we begin to hear preaching, we attend church, we begin to aspire for discipleship. And what happens, if we're not careful, is we begin to lower standards of sanctification. God's still using me. There's no lightning coming from heaven. I, you know, maybe this is not this bad. Well, Samson laid with a whore and then went out the next day and pulled the gates off the city but I declare to you there will come a day where you will shake yourself and God won't be there. And you won't know it. Just like Jimmy Swagger. You won't know it. And I believe God has better things for us. And in our church, you would not believe the curse of perversion that is at work in South Africa. And in some of the different tribes and some of the cultures, their their ideas of sexuality are so twisted and perverse. And what happened uh, a year ago in the July fast for about six months? I'd felt like there was something stuck in our church. We're not seeing we're not seeing visitors come in. If they're coming, they're not raising their hand. They're not praying. It, People aren't sticking. People is like something was stuck. I'm praying. We had our fast, and I've I've been saved 18 years. The July 2003 fast was personally the most powerful time of fasting and prayer I've ever experienced. We have our midweek services on Thursday because of the, because of the scheduling in the building that we use. So we had prayer meetings Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in the evening, six to nine o'clock. It's Wednesday evening. We've got about 50 people from our church. They're praying. It's, it's nine o'clock. We sing a couple of worship songs. I say a few words of benediction. God bless you. Go home and eat. Nobody's leaving. I'm like, what's going on? Nobody is leaving. They all line up, one by one men, women. They all come. Pastor, I've got to talk to you. We sit down, one by one. They begin to confess secret sin. Most of it was secret sexual immorality. Some of it were men in ministry. It was an explosion. Had to deal with it. Had to set people down. Had to put one guy out of the church. But something broke in our church. Something happened. And what it was, over and over again, I I think it was somewhere 15, 17 people that night... We didn't get, I mean, these people, you know, these are African people who do not have money. They do not have food. They want to confess rather than go eat. We have our next service the Thursday evening. I preach. We're finished. Close the service. There's another line. Another 10 people or so that come. Pastor, I got to talk to you. I can't live like this anymore. I need to confess. There was sexual immorality that was working through the church and they began to confess and something broke in our church. We began to see visitors come in. Began to feel the favor and blessing of God. And and something happened. Because I want to tell you, this kind of a sin, sir, most of the time, from my experience, it's a public confession. No way, man. I can't, I can't tell pastor about this. No, no, no way. I'll, I'll work it out. Work, God, this time, I know. Thank you for the sermon. God, thank you. I, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. How many times have you said that? Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Sin holds its power while it's secret. That's the nature of it. Men do their deeds in the darkness. And it is this particular thing, it is a shameful thing, it's a hidden thing, it's a secret thing, and we believe the lie that we can get off, we can break free alone. Maybe you can. My experience, my experience of men who have recovered and done well, of men who have come, and they've confessed. Even people who've been exposed, they finally work it through to real repentance. They'll recover, but uh, no, it's not. No, 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 no. I, I'm talking about a real confession and a real repentance because it's coming. And we like to shuck and jive and we like to duck and we like to kind of back away from this thing and kind of give a little nervous giggle and go on and change the subject but there's some men's destinies in the balance tonight and what you do for God what you don't do could hinge on this very thing you are a sexual creature and it can be resolved at an altar tonight and the outworkings of confession repentance prayer my prayer tonight is the devil the, 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 the devil has his mask pulled off and we can see what the real issue is yeah, there might, there might be a consequence. There might be some discipline. But that's better than the alternative. Because you don't want to live your life in bondage, man. You don't want to be an Amnon. You don't want to be a person who at, at the right time... Uh, when you should be hitting your stride and you should be able to, to put yourself kick into another gear and do great works for God your energy and your life's strength has been poured into that what did Solomon's mother say to him do not give your strength to many women I believe that the strength, the strength of our fellowship is our sanctification sanctification it's our consecration. We're, we're not it. We're not the best, but we're different. And it's because we believe in sanctification. We believe in being set apart. And I want to tell you something, man. Be, being in South Africa, I feel much of the time like I'm in, I'm in the eye of a hurricane. I feel the storms, man, just raging around my life. Witchcraft, you know, being a long way from home, the attacks, the peculiar assaults of being in the in foreign field and I know, I know the traps. I've seen what's happened. I see the snares and I'm praying, God, help me to be different. Help me to be set apart. Help me to stay clean because that's the secret of our power. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and no one's looking around or moving around for just a moment thank you for your time and your attendance your attention tonight as many people you've driven long ways you could be doing a lot of things but you value the word of God and my prayer is that God would help us tonight we're sexual creatures you got a sex drive bro you gotta challenge it in the right direction. Things are more desperate in South Africa because of the STDs there. Most of the funerals on Saturdays are age related deaths. Maybe it's not as rampant here as it is there, but before eternity, before God, it's an issue. I'm talking about your life, bro, your heart, your sexuality, your manhood your purity before God. Very quickly, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here this evening by invitation. You heard about the meeting. You came with somebody from another church and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before. You're not born again. You don't know what it is to have your sins forgiven. You know there's something missing in your life. You're troubled deep down inside because God created you in His image that you might serve Him, that you might have a relationship with Him, that you might have dominion over sin. Right now, that is not happening in your life. You're ruled by sin. There's problems, there's passions, there's habits. There's a guilt and a shame on your life because of the things that you've done. I declare to you that God loves you. It's not a, you're not a wimp to serve God. Real men serve God. Real men say no to this world and they serve Jesus Christ. And you're here, you're tired of getting kicked around by the world and by the devil and by life. You have no answers for your problems. You would cry out to God for mercy and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I want to get saved. I want to give you my heart, my life. Please forgive me. Give me dignity. Make me into a man. Give me hope. He can begin to change you. And make something beautiful out of your life. You're here tonight and you're not saved. You've never given your life to Jesus. You want to pray tonight and be born again. Would you lift up your hand? I'd like to pray for you for just a moment. You're not saved. You're not right. Listen to me, sir. You might claim to be a Christian, but it is this very thing. Sexual immorality is a part of your life. You're having sex outside of marriage. You're sleeping with someone that you're not married to. The Bible says that is fornication or adultery and you will not go to heaven if you're living that way. Do not be deceived. And tonight, the Spirit of God is seizing your heart and you're going to respond and be honest with yourself and with God. You're going to cry out for mercy. Lord, please forgive me. Lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Maybe you're backslidden tonight. You once served God. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your, those hands. God bless you. Honest hearts. God's moving. God bless you, sir. On my right, I see your hand. You're backslidden tonight, perhaps. Maybe it's this very thing. You've, you lost your destiny. You've, you've traded it in for a sexual relationship. You need to come back. You need to get it right. There's not much time. This is a power and it will destroy you. If not, it will rob you of your future. You're backslidden. You want to come back to Jesus. Lift up your hand. God bless you. I see these hands. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for your hand. Very quickly, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you lifted your hand, you want to pray for salvation, give your life to Jesus. Very quickly, would you look at me? Would you look at me? Would you you want to pray? Would you come? Would you come? Here on my left, you lift up your hand. You looked at me, look at me, look at me. You want to pray, you want to pray. In the back, you want to pray. In the back on my right, you want to pray. Come, come find a place to pray. We need some men to come. Come, come out of, come out of the seat. Come on and come and pray. It's all right, don't be ashamed. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to shame you. We just want to pray with you. God will do something powerful in your life if you'll respond. Don't be afraid, don't be ashamed. You lifted your hand, you want to come and pray. We want to pray for you. Greatest thing you could ever do, most powerful thing that could ever happen in your life is for God to touch your life and save you and set you free. Come, come and pray. Thank God. Thank God, thank God. Hallelujah. Others are coming. You come. While our heads are bowed, I'm speaking to Christian men. I dealt with a man in my church a while back. He responded and confessed after this sermon. He told me when we were working through the counseling that he said, Pastor, I was dreading the day that you would preach on sexual immorality because I knew that it was wrong and I was so afraid But when you began to preach, God began to speak to me and he began to speak to me not death and condemnation, but mercy and forgiveness. I've seen this man radically repent and radically judge pornography and the issue of masturbation. He has voluntarily made himself accountable to me. I don't run his life. I'm not God. But he wants to have Somebody in his life that he can relate to. And he's doing really good. He's back, he's contending, he's recovered his faith, he's recovered some strength, he's contending for God. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, you're here tonight. You are involved in pornography, internet porn, magazines, videos. You're secretly involved in that. It's got a hold on your life. The Spirit of God has laid hold of you tonight. You want to be free from that. You want to pray and be delivered from that. It begins with an acknowledgement and a confession. I'm not here to shame anybody. I don't want anybody looking around. You need to bow your heads and close your eyes. is between you and God. But God's tugging on your heart. And you want to respond and you want to confess to this secret sin. Sexual immorality, masturbation, pornography, an adulterous affair, fornication. What we're talking about tonight. You want to confess that and you want to repent and you want to begin to work through that. And recover your strength. Lift up your hand. Praise God. God bless these hands. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's business between you and God. Lift up your hand. Lift it up. God's helping you right now. Lift it up. Lift it up. You want to acknowledge that. God, help me. You've lifted your hand. I'm involved in this. I want to be free. I want you to get out of your chair. I want you to come and find a place to pray. Begin to cry out to God. I want men here in this congregation, you, we're going to stand tonight. Gentlemen, you need to examine how you treat women. If you're married here tonight, you need to seriously examine your sex life with your wife. You need to examine your identity as a sexual creature. You need to bring this before God and say, God, I want you to help me. I want to be a man of God. We're going to believe God to help us tonight. There's some men here. After this service, you might need to go talk to your pastor. You might need to seal this and and really begin to work through this so that you can be free. God will help you. We're going to open these altars for a time of prayer. We're going to sing a song in worship. Hallelujah.